day late a uh, dollar short but uh, we're happy to be here it's Friday but this is top 10 Thursdays and uh, I think the extra weight was totally worthwhile I'm Sean Lemmy I'm joined by two very special guests this week from the hit band U2 we have Bono and movie star of the year Matthew McConaughey as our two special guests this week how are you guys doing it's great to be here <laughs> I'm doing all right man so, uh, uh, Bono, I'll start with you. We just watched the Golden okay. Globes. Uh, you got, you had a weird amount of play in that award ceremony. How, how did that feel? How did that go? Felt great to win an award for, for Mr. Nelson Mandela, a big hero of mine. He's dead now. I, I also got to sit in the audience. They put their camera on me because I'm so beautiful. You wear sunglasses all the time, even at award ceremonies. What's that like? It's, it's very hard to maintain a uh, an image like mine but uh, I, when once you lock into the sunglasses thing you gotta you gotta follow through with it to the to the death that's how Nelson Mandela would have done it wow dark all right Matthew McConaughey you've had another great year a lot of critical success after after years and years of of making huge bank what's that like all right, man. He's pretty good. It reminds me of this one time when I was in Sahara and I hooked up with two chicks. Two <laughs> story. Speaking of true things, you're in that show True Detective uh, with Woody mm -hmm. Harrelson. Are you guys just stoned all the time? <laughs> I keep my lips sealed, man. All right. Well, that's just great. Uh, we're going to talk about your movies. Well, except we're not going to talk about Bono's. And more... Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Bono. It's it's okay. Um, I'm just gonna go get on a jet and fly to Africa. That's where they need me. Farewell. Africa, where pop music is most important. Uh, so 2013, it just won't die. Uh, and I'm here to talk about my favorite movies of the year. And uh, now that our celebrity guests have gone, I'm gonna bring in some some regular guests. Some, some, just the host of this show. Yeah, sorry. So I got Colin Westman. How you doing, Colin? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I got to see Bono a second ago. That was that was a highlight. And also John Otney's here. Hey, God, Matthew McConaughey sounded really bad. I think there's something wrong with him. He's just exhausted from acting so much. He he, from, he doesn't know what it's like. Awards. Yeah, he's just used to staying at home, smoking a big doob. Big dube. <laughs> Big dube. <laughs> ah, we have fun over here at Top 10 Thursdays. Um, so let's get right into the list with 12 Years a Slave, maybe the least fun movie ever made. Maybe, yeah, ever. I don't know about ever, but it's pretty sad. Um, um, this was on my list of the best movies of the year. I think, Colin, you also had it on yours? 
Yeah, I I felt like I had to. You felt like you had to. <laughs> so you, you... Yeah, it was out of guilt. <laughs> I so I guess that begs the question: Did you really actually like the movie, or was it all white guilt? <laughs> no, no, I I really like this movie. It's a very powerful film. It's uh, you know, it strives to be important and to to tell a very uh, important story but I, I think it's uh, quite a bit more than just uh, Oscar bait I think Steve McQueen's got a very uh, a very unique style that's uh, not too flashy but it uh, I don't know <laughs> it, it puts you in, in the mindset of this character in a very deep sort of visceral and Kind of simplistic way, but uh, it makes you feel it. That's yeah, that's that's definitely true. I I had a I had a real impression of what it was like to to go through this experience watching this movie, and uh, it sucked. God, <laughs> what a bummer slavery is. Uh, and, and I, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, Chuetta Four's performance, and we probably should too. Um, just because I've always been rooting for that guy to be a star, but to me, the performance of the movie is Michael Fassbender as as the uh, the plantation owner that we spend the most time with in the movie, um, because that guy is so crazy and so willing to treat people like they aren't even people. It's terrifying to me to think that any human being that ever lived could be like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just that character is a great example of slavery as sort of a poison that just sort of infected people. It it made them think that it was all right to to have this kind of point of view that is basically evil. But you know, he's just, just doing what seems right to him. Yeah. That's terrifying. Very much, and. You know, Chuetta led you for, man. Is this finally going to be his year? I don't... You mean, like, awards-wise? Yeah. I don't think so. I think no. Matthew McConaughey's locked it up. Really? I mean, he won the Golden Globe. Oh, yeah? And usually for best actor, I feel like in the past that usually cements it. It's weird I mean, when that happens around awards um, showtime is, like... It, it's like everyone just decides, well, this is who we're going to go with. Like, this is who it's got to be. <laughs> it's like everyone comes to this weird consensus. It's like, how does that happen? Like, I don't care if they actually deserve it, but it's just got to be. I mean, I can actually feel like I can chime in on this because I did see Dallas Buyers Club. And I do think that performance is, you know, at first I was hesitant because I was like, oh, maybe they just nominated Matthew McConaughey because he lost a bunch of weight. But no, it's really good. It's really good too. Like he's definitely deserving of it, and I think they got it right. But Joel Edge Force, he's close. He's he's great. Um, but I mean Michael Fassbender, I actually also uh, prefer a little bit um, more as well. But you know, all sorts of great performances, except for Brad Pitt. Yeah, just hang it out, being a solid dude. <laughs> Did that take anyone else out of the movie there? Yeah, uh, a little bit. Especially but, when I saw that he was a producer on the movie. It's just, it's weird to me how the one scene or a couple of scenes with Brad Pitt are like, 
I feel like the movie totally changes to like the dialogue he speaks is all about like I think blacks and whites can get along and like it's the one point where the movie seems like weird Oscar-y Beatty prestige like none of, no other part of the movie is like that except his scenes I don't know I just thought he was terrible but luckily that's just such a small part of the movie that it doesn't really have much of an effect on it I think there's a, a little bit of a sinister undertone to those scenes that make it work because they do introduce that other white character a few scenes earlier who betrays him you remember what I'm talking mm-hmm. about yeah, and so I mean, in the in the back of your head, you're at least thinking like, if if Solomon tries to trust this guy, it could go real badly for him because it was such a close call last time, and uh, and and that helped me get through it. But it's, I guess you just can't portray Canadians negatively on film; they come off so well. Although he's like had no Canadian accent for some reason. That, yeah, that's weird. I'm from Canada. <laughs> it just it was it was really interesting to watch that and then look at Michael Fassbender like God Michael Fassbender just schooling him and Michael Fassbender's not even American. What's Brad Pitt's excuse? He just looks like he came off the set of World War Z and they put like a Billy Goat beard on him. <laughs> no, I really didn't like that. And even though this uh, aside from that, even though this movie didn't make my top 10 i do admire a lot of the performances and a lot of the sh- like long just kind of drawn out shots that like i mean everyone always talks about the shot where solomon's just kind of hanging there and how everyone's just walking by yeah. you know this kind of shit happens every day we should so say for of... people who haven't seen the movie he's not like hanging around he's literally being hung <laughs> he's in a noose yeah and he <laughs> can catch. just barely <laughs> Like wow, that that kind of stuff happens every day. <laughs> People just don't leave no, the house. He's he's hanging from a rope by his neck, and his feet are just barely touching the mud on the ground. And all the other slaves are just you're just walking by casually because like people get killed every day, and that it really just sums up how you know terrifying it was back then, and how people just had to live their lives like that. Like that's probably for me the most impressive shot in the movie. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're just kind of worn out by the time you get to it, but the the last whipping scene in the movie is just heartbreaking to watch. Uh, I guess I can't really say anything without spoiling it. Um, So maybe we'll move on, but I I think that's a really good movie. I'm going to leave it on the list for now. Um, We do have a lot of movies to get through, though. And the next one up is American Hustle. Uh, Yeah, uh very different tone from 12 years of slave because i don't think this movie's really trying to say anything uh important or or uh, heavy-handed it's just it's just a movie that's a lot of fun and i had a lot of fun with it i barely could even explain the plot to you it's about i guess the fbi sort of trying to get this con artist um played by christian bale to uh, sort of reveal this this corrupted politician played by uh, Jeremy Renner, and uh, the way it unfolds is very sort of uh, fast and loose. And I really just kind of loved all the performances in this movie. I thought everyone was really great and uh, really make their characters more than just uh, dudes with bad 70s haircuts and flashy costumes uh 
Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I I I like the performances. Um, I agree that it's confusing, and that's probably what uh, brings it down a little bit for me. Is it's because I feel like it's not like a super long movie, but it's over two hours, and for me to just watch that for over two hours and not really have a good grasp of all the details kind of makes it difficult for me to watch, but I could still enjoy the humor, I guess. And the, the setting, you know, the 1970s with the soundtrack, like that was fun. Uh, I don't know if I think it deserves all the nominations it's getting. I feel like it's a little, it's pretty light. I feel like it's a safe movie for David O. Russell, which seems like he's been kind of been doing lately. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe you could argue Silver Linings Playbook was a little more, um, like the plot was, uh, uh, I don't know, a little a little more different than we usually see. But I don't know. Something out of American Hustle felt very familiar. Yeah, and I don't know. I guess I I haven't been that big on like the last three David O. Russell movies, um, which have, have all been massively successful for him. Uh, but there's something about them. I think they're just a little, a little too centered around like big, flashy performances, to the point that that you kind of lose the plot. Like, uh, like, like it kind of to me it feels like he always just like comes up with wacky characters and gets great actors to like play them and yell at each other and basically just put them all together in the same room as much as possible. Um, and that doesn't really work for me, uh, especially because I think he keeps miscasting Jennifer Lawrence as characters that are too old for her to play. Not that she's bad in those roles, it's just every year I get to watch her be a 16-year-old and then also, like, <laughs> apparently play someone in her 30s. I don't know. Was she in her third? I feel I really didn't have that problem with this one, even though I kind of did with Silver Lang's playbook. I mean, she's supposed to be sort of a young trophy wife. I I don't know. I, I thought she was really good in this. Well, but she's like a faded trophy wife. I mean, they have a kid together and stuff. And and Amy Adams is the one, you know, luring him away from her. And, and she seems so much older than Jennifer Lawrence, just because Jennifer Lawrence looks so young. Although Amy Adams is probably the best part of this movie. Uh, I, I loved her character doing the terrible British accent most of the time. That was really funny. Uh, well, Chris, and Christian Bale, of course. Delivering, as he does. At least in the weight department. <laughs> Delivers a lot of weight to you. Whatever it's called for. I had fun with it. Um, okay. Um, I guess we can strike it from the list, even though... I don't know. If we're comparing Wolf of Wall Street and this one, I this is sort of the one I went for. I think I also like this more than Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Well, we'll get there to Wolf of Wall Street eventually. But uh... <laughs> I'm giving it a tentative bump, I guess. Yeah, why not? Um... So next up, before midnight, the third in uh, in a series of films that uh, are spaced, I guess, nine years apart, both of them, mm-hmm. about this ongoing now marriage between uh, the characters uh, 
Celeste and Jesse, uh, Sean, you watched all three of these movies. Was it in the same day? Oh yeah, it was back to back to back with just light (laughs) breaks. Marathon these, okay. Uh, So you like Before Sunset best? Do you think? Yeah, I I rewatched the first two um, a little bit before Before Midnight (laughs) came out. And I remember watching Before Sunset for the second time and just saying, this movie's fucking perfect. It's just, it's short and full of, I don't know, just this great reconnected spark between these two characters that's just kind of kind of perfect for me. And Before Midnight, obviously, is a totally different type of thing. It's a lot, a lot darker and uh a bit more cynical but at the same time um i don't know it still makes you kind of believe in these characters and you still want to see them be together even though they have been and are are, are kind of struggling with it at this point uh i don't know where where would you say this one falls out I think, of the three i think this one was my favorite um in mm-hmm. in part because it kind of broke from the, the formula of the first two movies, which yeah. maybe I only just picked up on that because I literally just shotgunned them. <laughs> but it, it seemed like the first two is like, we'll meet, we'll talk about our lives a little bit, and then we'll just talk about whatever's going on and life in general and some existential things and then work our way down to like deep personal issues before we have to call it a movie. And I guess this one sort of did that too, but they they took some time to give uh, like Jesse a long scene at the beginning, where he's saying goodbye to his son, and uh, later on you see him hanging out with some other like writers or I guess just people who are staying there. I wasn't quite clear on what those characters were, but they have like a big group meal, and I I really liked the introduce the introduction of of other characters into this mix. Uh, because maybe I was just a little fatigued of watching these two because I just watched them talk with each other for like four hours. Yeah, it was nice to get someone else in there. Uh, but I thought those were some some fun additional characters they threw in uh, before the two of them went to the hotel and then had like the most upfront and brutal conversation that they've had in the entire series, um, which I thought was really engaging to watch because. It, you know, they've had 18 years to figure out not only who they are as people, but how they feel about their relationship. And, and it was really powerful and insightful to me uh, as someone who is still, like, I'm just now maybe a little older than they were in the first movie. So I've got a lot to learn before I can grow the sweet goatee. Sweet Ethan Hawk goatee. Yeah, okay. Sounds like, like we both like it a lot. Uh, Did you see it, John? No, I've only seen the first one. Oh, they're fun. Uh, but you did see Blackfish. Mm-hmm. I actually saw it in CNN. Well, that's a CNN film. Well, I mean, but it, it was in theaters first. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I don't know, it, it's interesting to me that before it came out on DVD and all that stuff, you know, get a chance to watch it on TV. I think that's just another thing that, that brings home the, the message that, well, just brings home the idea that this is a movie that was made to, like, try to change things, not necessarily for profit or anything. That's probably another reason why I'm, like, the worst candidate to talk about it, because this is an important film, 
and I just feel like an idiot trying to explain like why it's important. But I mean, it, it was just I was just amazed uh, to to know that this kind of stuff was going on at like SeaWorld to know that there's killer whales that had indeed killed people and should not be in captivity and are really dangerous and that whales are really smart animals. And they should not be in small areas. I mean, it's one of those things you feel like you should put together, but then it's not until you watch like a documentary and hear personal stories that you realize, wow, it really... And it's kind of saddening, but it looks like it's um, making waves, changing uh, things. Mm-hmm. So I was impressed. Because I was, I was going into it, and I was like, oh, there's going to be some hippie bullshit about protecting like, whales or something, <laughs> which isn't what it was. I mean, it's about, you know, it's definitely in the whale's best favor, but it's not, you know, I don't know. Um, so, so you've seen it too, Sean? Yeah, and it's it's one of those movies that by the end of it, you're like, how how the hell is SeaWorld defending itself? It seems to be in such an undefensible position uh, because they they just hammer home like all these statistics and facts and anecdotes about you know how orcas are so smart and they show like their brain is like ours except it has this extra part that's really emotional and they have you know like they have this extra emotional sense in their brain and it's it's all about being part of a family and how like they can't exist outside of families and yet that's what they have to do in captivity and then how they only live to be like 35 in captivity even though they usually have like human length lifetimes and it's just is such a bummer to watch. Um, that said, I I did feel like, for me, it was kind of preaching to the choir. Like I, I already pretty much knew that um, Sea World was kind of a shitty place. I mean, t- to me, this was something that was that was kind of known. Uh, but the the surprise was the 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 ti- the titular blackfish, uh, Til- Tillamook or. Tilicum, I think. Tilicum, whatever it is, the the like the biggest orca in captivity who has killed three people. It's like what? That's what are you doing, guys? And they keep using him to breed, and they're talking about how like <laughs> oh, it's yeah. a bad idea to take really ill-tempered whales and keep like you know giving them offspring, like that can result in more ill-tempered whales. It's like what are you doing, Sea World? Well, I mean. I Make think I bank. guess I, I guess plenty of people knew that SeaWorld was a bad idea. I just think it, it, it's good that they're raising awareness. They're like really bringing it home. So now it's like, oh well, now maybe people will want to take some initiative and you know stop going and start start doing things. You know, like I know like musical artists that were scheduled to go to SeaWorld keep canceling and events are getting canceled. You know, it's all about raising awareness, and uh, I feel like it's been doing a pretty good job. It's just yeah. really informative. I don't know if it's it's entertaining. I mean, I guess it is entertaining in a weird kind of way. Um, There's that one enlightening maybe uh, attack that that really stuck with me is actually the one where the guy lives, mm-hmm. where he's like the really talented diver guy who just keeps getting pulled down and he's just like really calmly trying to stay alive and he like makes a mad dash and swims away at the last second. But that was. That was some riveting movie making right there. Oh yeah, I mean it's real, so yeah. It's it's rough stuff, and and yeah, I don't I. This is the first documentary in a while I remember 
that's like really seems to be having an impact on society uh, and I wonder if that's because this did get to be on TV and Netflix really fast and it's so easy for people to get to it and it's such a cause that so many people can get behind I wonder if any of that CNN film stuff and the fact that it was shown on CNN has to do with the fact that it wasn't nominated for Best Documentary at the Oscars because I feel like it was the most successful out of any of those documentaries. So I don't know if there's some politics going on there or what's going on there, but uh, that's kind of disappointing. But, I mean, it's got enough attention, so I suppose that's what's most important. I don't know. That's what I think. Yeah. Colin, what's kept you from Blackfish? Um, <laughs> sounds kind of like a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's I interesting. I could only though. see so many films in one year, and I just got to a certain point where I just felt like I have I've seen enough, basically. <laughs> Well, for those who want to see it, I believe it is still on Netflix as of right now. Oh, yeah, I think so. So check it out if you got time. And if you're still hankering for some high seas action, maybe check out <laughs> Captain Phillips, the new uh, Greengrass movie. Uh, this stars Tom Hanks and a guy whose name I can't even spell or remember how to pronounce. Something Abdi. As a. Uh, Barkod? Barkod Abdi? That's what we're going with. Um, as as uh, the the crew of this uh, the shipping uh, freighter and uh, and these Somalian pirates who hijack it uh, in an attempt to get money. Um, it was just a really tense and exciting movie to watch in in my memory of it at least. Uh, you know, it's been a while since Tom Hanks. Did something you could really give a damn about, and uh, and I feel like he really lived up to his half of the bargain. And, and then this <laughs> Abdi guy uh, was was really great too, uh, as as the Somalian uh, pirate who is in I guess just a really desperate situation. I mean, clearly things are really bad in that country. Um, and it's. It's hard to tell if he's someone who is flourishing in that situation or someone who just wants to escape it. Um, but it's a it's a powerful performance, and um, for me, it's it's the first half of the movie that I really love when they're just like four or five guys on a dinghy trying to take over this massive ship, and that's really exciting to watch. Oh yeah, I mean it's suspenseful, just the chase too, because it's it's funny because even though you know what's going to happen, you still feel like, oh, maybe Captain Phillips is going to get away from the little boat. Look, they're out, you know, it's they can't keep up. tiny and... little boat. They've got this, like, they're shooting tons of water at them. And then you're like, no, no way they're going to get to them. No way. And then they get to them, and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, I mean, you know God. it's going to happen, but it's just like, uh, I don't know. It's It was... It was a very suspenseful movie. I mean, it's it's pretty long, but it, it keeps you on edge the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was very close to being on my top ten. I had a um, I was very highly entertained, and I really like Tom Hanks. Um, I think the problem with me, which is not is not the movie's fault at all, 
is right after us the movie and I read about how like so much of like this is like bullshit at least Captain Phillips like in his and how he acted in that situation like he kind of sounds like an asshole in real life <laughs> which was really disappointing like how he got so many warning messages not to take the boat into this you know particular area and he kept doing it or when he did it you know and he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta sacrifice myself and give them to the pirates. And like, no, wait, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. And just like, he seemed like he was making all the worst decisions. And now he's a hero just because he he survived through all of it. I don't know. But like, once again, that's not the movie's fault. The movie isn't supposed to be. Its job isn't to you know be an exact representation of what happened. It's just supposed to be entertaining, and you know, and tell an exciting story. And it did that. And to the so, movie's credit, it did have at least two scenes I can think of where, like, he gets a warning to not take the route mm-hmm. he's going, and he's just like, eh, whatever. I, I mean, email my wife. It was probably wise just to try to make him as likable as possible by casting America's sweetheart, Tom Hanks, instead mm-hmm. of, like, making him be like, ah, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it's funny. It's kind of just like that Saving Mr. Banks movie that just, you know, that came out. <laughs> Where it's like Walt Disney is an asshole, but it's like, eh, we don't want him to come off like an asshole, though. So they get Tom Hanks to make him seem like he's this, like, angel that's come down <laughs> to save all of us. Yeah, that's uh, Tom Hanks' that, role in all that, of our lives. Uh, on a side note, yeah, that movie I did see, actually, and enjoyed, though I, at, this, at the same time, I was like, this is all lies. <laughs> <laughs> but that was an entertaining movie as well. Tom Hanks had a he had a good year, and no Oscar nomination for either. Um, so this didn't make John's list. Uh, Colin, did you even see this? Yeah, I saw it. This is okay. <laughs> I wasn't quite as taken with it. I thought it was kind of poorly written, to be honest. Like, there's yeah. that first scene in the movie where they're driving to like the port, and he's talking to his wife, and he's like. Oh, things are moving so much faster nowadays. We're getting older. <laughs> Kids nowadays, are, it's it's not like how it used to be when we were younger. It's like this is the most stereotypical scene of a person talking about themselves getting older that I've ever seen. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I think Paul Greengrass is a is a pretty pretty great director when he does movies like these that are sort of. Uh, you know, based on real life, and he he, he applies his sort of documentary-inspired uh, uh, approach to, to filmmaking, I guess, sort of, sort of like he did with United 93. And uh, he, he makes it pretty compelling. I just... <laughs> it just wasn't my favorite movie of his. Okay, I'm going to bump it. And now I'm going to ask John to tell us about The Crash Reel. Crashfield uh, was a movie I found out when I was reading up about Sif. Uh, I didn't catch it at Sif, but I did catch it later. And it is the story of Kevin Pierce, who was a was a professional snowboarder. He was kind of like Sean White's uh, kind of direct rival for a period of time. And then in 2009, he suffered an accident that left him with permanent brain damage. And the crash reel kind of follows his accident and his road to recovery and just delves into head injuries and the effects it's had on like um, 
other extreme sports athletes and how it's how dangerous it all is and follows him and his family and how he really wants to get back into snowboarding but they don't want him to do it because they don't want him to die and very uh compelling human story and I mean, yeah, I don't know. He's a likable guy, and I was I was interested. I had, I was not familiar with him, so it was all new to me. And he's a likable guy, but he also he has such a wonderful family, and the, they let you get to know uh, his parents and a couple of his brothers pretty well as the documentary goes on. And they're just they're just great people, and it makes it really easy to root for them. And you hate that they have to go through this tragedy that they do. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, it's almost annoying to the point of where, like, Kevin Pierce is like, he's just gotten out of the hospital after being have, there for months and months. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and keep doing it, and they're like, no, no. I mean, because they've already been, you know, with through so much with him, and there's that struggle, that real life family struggle, and that was tough to watch. But it's weird that one, that one portion of the movie where I was like against Kevin Pierce, but then it's like, oh well, he comes to it. He has brain damage. Yeah. Uh, and they... Oh God! And I was just gonna mention that heartbreaking scene where it's pretty late in the film where he meets another guy who has like brain damage and is talking about how he like ran over like one of his family members with like a golf cart or something. And he's like laughing about it like it's nothing. It, well, he's he's just so out of it. They tell him to like point at his elbow, and he keeps pointing at different body parts. Uh, and he's like laughing. He's just like this one, this one. It's it's really sad. They do a great job of showing like cases like him and other athletes that fall and hit their head and die and and then also showing people like Sean White being really successful and having a great time and uh you know it it really gets to the heart that like these athletes really really love what they do and they're going to keep pushing the limits as long as people let them. And so it, in the end it's like it, it, it rallies on on the event organizers to like put height limits on half pipes because they jump higher now than helmets can protect them from mm-hmm. falling from and they go too fast. It's, Even people like Sean White, I wasn't aware how many times he's been injured. Like he could end up any day he could be like one of these other guys and get brain damage. Like I mean they I they really should make it safer. I, I wasn't aware that it was so deadly i feel like it wasn't even close i feel like they said that like the the helmets they wear are for like 12 foot ramps or something and now they're jumping mm-hmm. like 22 feet ramps <sighs> it's a it's a real bummer but it's a it's such a cool movie and it has a, a really fun s- soundtrack too a lot of oh, a lot of bands oh, yeah. i recognize I love all the snowboarding just sequences just going across the the powder and uh, through the air Visuals are great. It's a cool movie. Colin, have you heard of this? I, I had not even heard of this until I saw John post his top ten movies list. It's available on HBO Go. Here. If you have that, which I don't. <laughs> Who does? I, I, I do. I think Peter Dinklage has that? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got... He goes. He's got HBO go all the way. <laughs> What's that? Oh, you know. It's got like HBO, like like softcore sex. Yeah, <laughs> from like back in the day when HBO was a little bit more racy. 
a little more late night. Yeah. Well, speaking of crashes, how about Fast and Furious 6? Which is not about Paul Walker. I'm talking about because there's, oh, there's cars and <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I get it. Because there are crashes in the movie. No, we all know what you meant. <sighs> yeah, well, that was deliberate. Um, this is such a fun movie, you guys. is It's so stupid and goofy. But... Its heart is in the right place, just like Fast Five, but it's it's even more amped up this time with a a bigger cast and you know bigger family, I guess is, is what they would refer to it. As. Bigger people, <laughs> just bigger people, yeah. I like that one guy that the rock totally jump clotheslines. <sighs> so many great jumps, so many great jumps. <laughs> There's a tank. There's a car that seems to be designed just to flip other cars over. There's a giant airplane. There's an endless runway. Lots of grappling hooks. Lots of grappling hooks. Like any anything you ever wanted to see a grappling hook do. In <laughs> the unit attached Nas to that one grappling hook <laughs> to supercharge it. Which is such a great callback to earlier films in the series. Uh, and then they end it on like the ultimate fan service credit scene of all time. Uh, I'm super stoked about this movie, but I I, I know it's it's like t- like legally it's a bad movie. <laughs> like he will be arrested if you call it a good movie. Legally, is that, is that what that means? Like... Yeah, like I know, I understand. <laughs> But I have so much fun watching it, and uh, I really hope that that franchise keeps being great uh, in this new era. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. John, could I ever convince you to watch it? Probably. I mean, that's worth something, right? Probably not a spot on the list, but... I enjoyed seeing it with you, because you're having such a great time. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was fun and unbelievably dumb, <laughs> but you know, I just feel like a lot of action movies these days are, are kind of underwhelming. I don't know if it's just uh computer effects fatigue or, or something else, but I feel so alive watching <laughs> fast and furious race scenes and fight scenes. And I, I don't feel the same with, you know, even superhero movies, which should be the most over-the-top action movies of them all. Do you think it might have to do with the fact that they use cars, which is sort of a practical action movie uh, device, I guess? It doesn't doesn't feel as, uh, you know, as artificial as as the superhero movies. Transformers. Yeah, you actually feel like you're watching these guys <laughs> jumping off of vehicles and onto other vehicles, which it may be. I don't know what the, what the special effects are like if they use a lot of stunt work. They probably do. Probably. I don't know. I, I, I think that might add to it. I don't want to look under the veil too much. Um, mm-hmm. 
But any movie that <laughs> not like what you see. Any movie that like makes you really excited that like Ludacris shows up has got to have something pretty special going on. And and this is this is one of those movies. There's two of them. Is this and Fast Five? Those are the only two. So Luda act more maybe. Uh, Francis Ha is the exact opposite of Fast and Furious Six, but we saw them at roughly the same time. Yeah, I think it was the same weekend. Uh, talked about Francis Ha a bit. It's uh, it's a very simple movie. It's just about uh, this character Francis sort of going about her sort of stereotypically Brooklyn lifestyle of sort of following her dreams as a dancer and uh, not not quite figuring everything out that maybe she thought she was going to figure out at this point in her life. And uh, it's a movie that doesn't do too much, but there's still a lot of sort of uh, nice flourishes that uh, Noah Baumbach does with the camera work and the and the score, and it's just uh, yeah, it's just a delightful little film. I don't have much to say about it. Just keep it short and sweet. There's nothing wrong with that. I like it. Um. So who, whose list was this on? This was on mine. It was, it was on so mine, that. too. All right. So both okay. I was going to say bump it if we have really nothing to say about it. But if it's on both your lists, let's, let's keep it. Um, how about uh, Fruitvale Station? Uh, Fruitvale Station is the true story of Oscar Grant, who in, was it New Year's 2008, was getting on the BART, which is that thing in Oakland. It's kind of like a subway, kind of. Yeah, it goes all over the Bay Area. Okay. And there was a bit bit of an altercation, and that led to cops being called, and then they accidentally, well, very aggressive cops, accidentally shot Oscar Grant. So this movie follows the last day of his life, and it's kind of just a very basic, simple character study you follow Oscar Grant, played by Michael B. Jordan, through his last day and everything he does. And Michael B. I mean, I think the thing that makes it so entertaining is just watching Michael B. Jordan. He's great, uh, very sincere, uh, very likable, even though he's got like a, this character has like this very shady past. And he's trying to turn over a new leaf, but you're not 100% if he can. He's definitely someone with a lot of demons. Um, movie ends very tragically uh but it's it's still interesting following his his journey and kind of going uh through the motions of someone who's just who's trying to be a better person uh i don't know how accurate that that is like of his actual last day like i don't know supposedly it's entirely made up yeah because there's definitely scenes in fruitvale i mean i like the movie but there's definitely scenes where they're tugging at your heartstrings i'm like bullshit like <laughs> there's the scene you saw right sean you said you mm-hmm. saw all these uh, there's a scene the where dog he, the, scene? the dog yeah and it's a dog and it's been hit by a car and he picks it up he's like help help it's like come on it's like they make him seem like he's the greatest guy in the world like he's this this saint you know and then he was killed and 
I mean, not only yeah, that, but it's so on the nose. It's like, this is a guy who would do something about an unjustified murder. Wouldn't it be terrible if he was unjustifiably murdered? Yeah. It's like the worst foreshadowing ever. <laughs> um, and I mean, but that that scene aside, I did enjoy uh, most of the experience, even if I had trouble buying some of this. Like, oh, the last day he's ever alive happens to be the one day where he starts to turn his life around. Like, that's a little much. But I don't know. Maybe if it wasn't a true story, that wouldn't bother me so much. But even with all that. I still enjoy the performances. I still enjoy the simplicity. It's still an interesting story to me. So, and it, you know, it wasn't list. it wasn't like it was the greatest day of his life. It it wasn't like, you know, if he had survived, everything would be better tomorrow. I mean, he he still like loses his job and doesn't get it back. Uh, early in the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's just he's just working that way. He just has the potential to to have a better life, and that's. I think that's what makes the the movie powerful. Is it reminds you that these vic- these guys who get killed are are people, and they're not just martyrs. They're not just you know nobodies. These these are all people who lived a whole life up to that moment that they were killed. And and I think that's the power of, of a movie like this. Is I mean it's 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 really manipulative, but it's also effective at communicating the value of human life, and, mm-hmm. and that's really important. Oh, absolutely. And it's also got me on the Michael B. Jordan bandwagon, if that's a Welcome. thing. He's fantastic. He's so good. I really hope his, he has a great career. You got to catch up he has on so much FNL, potential. man. He's like the star of the last couple seasons of Friday Night Lights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm actually, I was actually kind of disappointed when I saw he's in that trailer for that Zac Efron movie because like, <laughs> I think mean, that doesn't look that bad. I'm just like, oh, man, he should be doing stuff that's like – like that just seems like such an easy thing for him. Like he's so good, he'd be really testing his dramatic chops. But he's got plenty of time. He's still very young. Mm-hmm. So, I'm I'm pretty disappointed though that Fruitvale was totally shut out of the Golden Globes and the Oscars. I don't know why. I, I assume it's one of those like complicated like I I don't know what the word like maybe not political but some sort of like it was submitted wrong or this company does a deal with blah 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 you know I'm sure it's some, some bullshit like that which is too bad because I really think it is is a good movie that does deserve some attention I think it was directed by a first timer wasn't it like someone Ryan, right out of film school or something Ryan Coogler yeah I believe it was his uh, first uh, feature length and after the success of this he has been offered the Apollo Creed prequel movie <laughs> or something. Is it a prequel? Is it a sequel? I think it's a sequel. It's How like could it be a sequel? Is it a prequel? I don't know. The only thing that confuses me is if you look at the cast, it's got Sylvester so Stallone as Rocky Balboa. <laughs> so I'm like, is he, is he playing young Rocky? I still got it. Yeah. And naturally, yeah, Michael B. Jordan is on board. Uh, I don't know how good of an idea that is, but <laughs> probably not very. I mean, no, I will have to see what Ryan Coogler can do with that. Uh, I mean, I'm a Rocky fan, so yeah, there you go. I like, to, I like to be optimistic. But yeah, his his career as well. I'm interest, interested to see where that will go. Uh, veteran director 
made Gravity. Do you guys remember that movie? Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard not to. I feel like it's the one movie everybody was like, dude, have you seen Gravity? He's like, yeah, I see him. It's pretty sweet. This is like the one movie where that actually worked out and like everyone saw Gravity and it made a lot of money. Yeah. Like people felt it was actually worth telling people after they saw it. I'm like, if you guys see, like, I don't know, Oz the Great and Powerful, you're, you're, you're a little ashamed about it. You're not going to go out <sighs> go telling people about it. Mila Kunis as a witch, man. Fucking sweet. I do. Sad coming. So gravity, I mean, you think about how tense Captain Phillips was and then multiply that by all the numbers. You get gravity, um, which is uh, like one of the tensest movies ever made about uh, Sandra Bullock basically being alone in space. But it's not the future. She doesn't have cool sci-fi tech. It's like modern space. So she's pretty much fucked. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's just, it's just funny. Cause I like to think this is how Alfonso Cuaron like, pitched it. <laughs> she just she's fucked. Pretty much fucked. Give me uh, money? Because we're not so good at space yet, uh, and a lot of our funding doesn't go to being better at space. Uh, so you 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 kind of relying on not a lot to keep you alive, because uh, the human body is not meant to live in space. Uh, and it's and of course it's it's amped up even further uh, because uh, you get this idea that. That George Clooney's like the only experienced astronaut up there, and the other two characters, Sandra Bullock and other guy who maybe doesn't even get to talk. Meteor uh, face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're just kind of uh, there for other reasons, and I don't know, maybe aren't fully trained as astronauts or something, because she seems terrified up there all the time. Um, but that just makes the movie even more exciting to watch as disaster after disaster happens all around her as basically everything we have in space is destroyed and she tries so desperately yeah. to get back down to earth well i mean it makes it more relatable i mean i'm never gonna go to fucking space i don't know any of that stuff but i mean to see someone panic in that situation instead of like if it was someone who's like knew knew what to do the whole time it was like, like super calm like if we followed george clooney it wouldn't be that exciting <laughs> Don't worry Pump about it. country music. Got it all under control. I feel like after this movie, who is ever going to want to go to space? We just got to be better at going to space. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I feel like it's the same effect how like Jaws like scared people from going back in the water. It's like just when you you thought it was safe to go back to space. Because like, is this movie even like science fiction? I mean, fiction in that it's a fictional story, but like. They went. I feel like Alfonso Cuarón really went for like accuracy. Yeah. So I don't yeah. even know what you categorize that. That's like something new. And just a drama in space. You know, there's that the Neil deGrasse like talked about what's inaccurate in the movie, and people were like flipping out. Uh, and then later Neil deGrasse Tyson's like, actually, this is a really good movie, and you guys should all go see it. Um, so I feel like that's the mindset you gotta have 
in a movie like this. Like, if you are the kind of person who, like, sees her get out of her spacesuit and her hair doesn't float everywhere and you're like, oh, this is totally inaccurate. Uh, do you even like movies at that point? I don't know. Uh, but it's really fun to watch. And I, I, Sandra Bullock deserves credit, I think, for... for uh, you know, I don't know how they film zero-G stuff really at all. Uh, but she makes it look really convincing that she's moving around in these zero-G environments, and, and that's incredible. And that's all cinematography, uh, too. Uh, what were you saying before? <laughs> it's not going to make sense if I just go on about something. Well, Colin, before... You can't just say it's cinematography. Before we took an oh, unexpected yeah. break, uh, we were talking about how um, how convincing the, 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 the space footage was. How convincing it was that she was moving around in an environment without gravity. Yeah, and, and I, I, I really don't know how they filmed uh, basically all of this movie. It is a, a special effects wonder... Which is nice to see a movie where you're actually kind of having that sort of feeling that we got, you know, seeing Jurassic Park, where you're like, wow, I, I'm not sure that I've seen something like this before. Uh, it's cool. You want to move on to her? Let's move on to her. Um, for me, this is the first movie in a while that uh, we could talk about for being really well written um because this is spike jones making his first uh solo writer director effort and uh i think he does a phenomenal job um for a number of reasons uh but for me the, the like defining attribute about this movie is its open-mindedness and optimism about uh the technology driven future that we are basically stuck on the path to at this point um because i mean so often we get i don't know like like surrogates or shit like that that just paints the future as a bummer Looper. i don't think anyone remembers surrogates but no i do john does john you saw it didn't you mm, theaters <laughs> i call it surro shits in my review <laughs> Very nice. uh, uh, but, it's not in contention for this list <laughs> but I love that this was a movie um, that uh, that approaches the, the core ideas of humanity uh, through both a personal journey and also through t the relationship between humans and technology and and, uh, and that shows that technology enhances all these people's lives um while also, you know, warning that, that, you know, maybe they spend too much time with it. But it's not, it doesn't really hit you over the head with that too much. It just kind of touches on it with, uh, with both the Olivia Wilde character and the, uh, the Rooney Mara character. Uh, but it's just, the movie made me feel really good and happy and alive most of the time. And I like that. Oh, and it's just beautiful, too. Just the imagery and the use of red and the use of color and really amazing looking film. 
And a tearjerker near the end. Yeah, definitely. It's I just feel so appropriate for its era. You know, love story in the digital age. It's got a cool arcade fire soundtrack too. I didn't even realize. Uh, it was good. It was a good soundtrack. It didn't like draw too much attention to itself. It wasn't like we're the arcade fire. We're doing soundtrack. <laughs> no, it's like it wasn't in your face. It was very unobtrusive. It was just kind of there. It was complimentary. Like they just they're just playing in the background. Looks well, like if you two did like a soundtrack too, and they're just like, ah, ah, she's so beautiful. They're, you know, they're not ramming down your throat that it's the arcade fire. Mm-hmm. Still doing good work though. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, Walking Phoenix really great in this movie. Amy Adams also like. To me, even kind of better than she is in American Hustle, just because she seems like such a nice person to be around. <laughs> and and uh, you know, everyone talks about Scarlett Johansson, and there's a reason for that. It's because she's really good, and she really, really wants you to take her seriously as an actress. So what's your problem, man? Huh? No. Does, does she really want you to take her seriously if she's doing her best work in, in voiceover? Are you just trash talking all of voice actors right now? You're just like all voice acting is a joke. Is that what you're saying? Is that well, what you're saying? Well, I think that's the way it's probably perceived, um, especially for someone who wants to be taken seriously as an actor. Actor. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with voice acting. I don't know. I, I know you just said that to piss me off, but <laughs> <laughs> you're no, figuring she's... out the formula of the whole podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this movie's really good. I don't, I don't have much more to say than you guys. It was my favorite movie of 2013 that I saw. And for that reason alone, let's move on to The Hunt. The Hunt is a Danish film. Uh, it, it, it did the festival circuit last year, but it's not till this year that American audiences are really are getting an opportunity to really experience it and it's it's Mickelson of Hannibal and Casino Royale fame yeah he usually plays bad guys and here's a good guy but he's put into um, a very that... uncomfortable position um, where he's basically a divorcee trying to get his life together he's working at a kindergarten and there's this little girl there that likes him and she's very touchy and he's trying to explain, you know, that's not how you're supposed to act, you know, around adults. And then eventually it leads to this girl making up a lie that uh, Mads Mikkelsen exposed himself to her. And um, the, you know, the, the people in the kindergarten find out and then it turns, it blows way out of proportion and the whole town, this very close-knit community, just totally ostracizes Mads Mikkelsen and he just becomes this figure that everyone hates and no one believes and he's trying to clear his name and it's really tough to watch. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that the little girl is uh, the daughter of Mads Mikkelsen's uh, best friend. So it's it's not like just a girl he would see at school. It's someone he interacts mm-hmm. with a lot and you know someone who should trust him. And that's part of why he's uh, so thrown out of the community and also why he feels so betrayed that... Basically, 
Uh, I, I mean, when you watch the movie, it's it's kind of infuriating to watch the adults who are, you know, they're really well-intentioned. They want to protect this little girl, but they ask her such leading questions that oh, yeah. basically she can just nod along and they kind of fill in the narrative they want to fill in. Um, and, and then it's it's so frustrating that just like one lie can destroy this guy's life. Uh, and, and it leaves you like wondering, like, what can you do? Because obviously you don't want pedophiles to get away with it. You want to protect victims of pedophilia. But when it's so easy to do something like that, you have to wonder if there's something wrong with the solution as well. Oh, yeah. It's just a fascinating depiction of scandal and how it can really ruin someone's life and how you never really come back from that. It all It's something that always follows you, and they definitely hit on that in this movie. Yeah, it's a really interesting ending to this film. Kind of haunting. Uh like, like I'm sensing a trend with a lot of the movies. A, a bit of a downer, but a very fascinating. Great performance. Interesting story. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this movie, Cole? The Hunt? I had heard of it, uh, but I did not see it. I believe it got put on Netflix a couple weeks ago. That's a Pretty recently. Story. So, yeah, it is available for those who are interested. Also, like Prisoners, has deer hunting, Christian prayer, and basically set around Thanksgiving time. That's just what I like in movies, Sean. Those are the three things I need. All right. So, according to John's criteria, inside Lewin Davis, pretty disappointing. Maybe if he'd picked up a rifle and shot a moose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think there were opportunities in the film for it to happen. Like when he gets stranded out on the side of the road in the woods. <laughs> Maybe he could have just found a gun and shot a moose. Although uh, it, it already ended up as John's number one film and mine. I don't know if it could have done any better by adding in moose scenes. Uh, I did not expect this movie to be number one on my list. Me uh, neither. Yeah, it just kind of happened. <laughs> like, I saw it, and uh, I guess like any other Coen Brothers movie, I was like, wow, that was really good. There's a lot of things going on in in the movie. I'm not sure how I feel about all of the things that went on in the movie. And uh, I kind of kind of gave it that kind of... <laughs> half-formed opinion type of review on the blog. But uh, just, just as the weeks passed, I, I just kept coming back to that movie and sort of just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I mean, hum, humming the words to the songs in that movie oh, yeah. while fondly uh, just, just really loving the world that it evokes, that whole folk scene with this sort of hazy wintry sort of air of depression that hangs over it but uh something about it man i mean i kind of had a similar experience where i walked out of it and i'm like i have a lot of questions i'm not 100 percent on what you know certain things meant but you know that they reminded me of a lot of other cohen films that i've loved you know like a serious man or barton fink were were presented with these these facts and there's there's not even answers all the time it's just 
it's what you want to believe it is and it really it, it challenges the viewer and in, in that way and i really like that and it, it makes me kind of obsess over it but it, it it just it makes me want to see it again you know and it, i can't stop thinking about it and then if that wasn't enough yeah i mean the music's great the setting is just pitch perfect it's you just feel so engulfed in this world it's almost like reading like a really good book with a lot of detail just mm-hmm. this story is it's it breathes there's so much personality in there and yeah i loved it and i can't wait to see it again you know it just it, the fact that i see like 800 movies <laughs> um it was it, it was it was great i really loved it it's interesting to me how the marketing misrepresented this movie so much um because for one i came into us thinking this was like going to be a big ensemble cast and, and not really just following one character even though i guess i probably should have guessed from the title uh but like carrie mulligan's not in it too much john goodman's not in it too much f murray abraham is barely in it at all uh and i thought all these would be like major characters uh, but it, it's really just following this one guy and his uh, attempt to to make a living doing what he loves, uh, and it doesn't even really make it clear why he loves doing that. He seems to really hate performing. <laughs> I mean, there's so many little details in there that I'm like, oh, man, that's interesting. What does that mean? I mean, certain things I think about is how he's trying to present himself as this this songwriter for this generation and they don't really they're not really responding to it that much but then there's like a lot of older people in the movie that really respond to his music and but he he ignores them and there's something like i'm not sure what that means but i really want to know what that means and i can't stop <laughs> thinking about that you know these these little things like that that just they, they become obsessions like, there's so many of those. Like, I can't wait, or maybe I can wait to hear someone just go, like, so in-depth and try to explain all this and what they think it means. It's definitely one of those movies where you walk out and then you talk about it for, like, hours and hours. Like, oh, no, I think that meant this. I think that meant that. And maybe no one's right. Yeah. Paul and I just wanted to know if it was that cat that he hit. Such a mystery to us. Oh yeah. Because if it was that one cat, there's that. Well, would you which cat? It doesn't matter. Was it the second cat, or was it a different animal altogether? Yeah. We don't know. Maybe. Uh-huh. Could have been a moose. Could have been a moose. God, a mini- if only. <laughs> a miniature moose. <laughs> this or... giant moose just crushes the car. <laughs> Everyone's horribly injured. God, where's that about... movie? How about that? The ending of the of Lewin Davis. What do you guys make of that? Can you make anything? Of well, that? it's super confusing because they show you kind of the same series of events you see at the beginning of the movie, but it's clearly different. But then it ends up the same way as the beginning of the movie, uh, which makes that troubling to think about. Uh, and then, of course, the au revoir. Who even knows, man? You know, you know how I. I don't know about that, but you know how I interpret it is it, it appears to be the same events that we've just seen at the beginning of the movie, but with a few minor changes. Like, the first time we didn't hear Bob Dylan performing, or the, the, the first time the cat got out, this time the cat stays in. And I like to think you can interpret that as, well, like, since the cat, you know, stayed in, 
maybe he is making minor adjustments day by day. His maybe most of his days are the same, where just everything goes against him. But maybe he is making slight adjustments to try to maybe make things better. Like maybe next time he's driving out, you know, near Chicago, he will go to where was it Akron or whatever. He will visit that kid. I mean, or you can see his exact opposite is he's just stuck in this cycle of shit and we'll never get day. Out. but it's like a week it's like Groundhog, Groundhog week, week. <laughs> you could go either way on that and that's, I think that's some of the greatness of it yeah I hope I don't know I hope things work out I liked him some people think he's a real asshole I mean he's an asshole but I still sympathize for him he's been th- his best friend's dead spoiler or you know at least his partner Mm-hmm. We don't know. What we do know is Nebraska was shot in black and white. Even I know that. <laughs> this is true. Uh, and I really wanted to see that, but I, I just, I did get the, uh, the, the right opportunity, I guess. So, I want you guys to really tell me why it's so great. It's pretty funny. Uh, yeah. Good, good. You, you might not have expected to see that because it's. I feel like it's portrayed as just depressing Bruce Dern. Um, but it's the, the movie is really about a, a, a family reunion more than anything else, and uh, it's a pretty funny family. Yeah, I mean they all sort of embody the very untalkative, stoic sort of Midwestern type of dudes that'd rather just uh, you know stare at the TV and drink their beer than actually sort out their feelings like uh, <laughs> well like they're more neurotic I don't know brethren on the coast uh, I mean there's that great scene where it's literally just a bunch of dudes sitting around watching TV and uh, yeah there are a lot of really memorable scenes that are sort of funny and sad and but also, there's kind of this dignity to these these people. They have their their certain way of life, and it's it's gotten them this far. Um, yeah, I don't know. Another, another good Alexander Payne movie. I always like his stuff. How does it compare to his other his previous works? Like, I liked it more than it? The Descendants, but probably less than Sideways. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just curious. Uh, I probably liked it about as much as The Descendants. I don't know. I feel like I was really... <laughs> I really embraced The Descendants just because it had like been so long since Alexander Payne had made a movie when that came out. But I don't know. Maybe this one is a little bit more accomplished in that it just handles a very sort of tricky tone that I, I, I don't see in movies that often. Uh, it's it's a movie where you're you pretty much know where it's going uh, but how it gets there is really fun and sad and interesting to watch and I would say it actually ends on kind of a heartwarming note which caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I definitely was uh, pleasantly surprised by that in this, like, 
last week of me watch just marathoning depressing movies left and right. <laughs> Francis Ha and Nebraska both in black and white. Do you guys feel pretty good about that? I love black and white. Yeah. So I, I, I wish it happened more often. Uh, just, and, I, and I feel like the may, maybe this movie even more uses the the black and white to its advantage because uh, I don't know it, it definitely evokes sort of the gray skies that are hanging over these sort of barren landscapes and you get this very sort of mid-range well not color palette but whatever you want to call it, it I, know, I think it does it does really good work with the uh, the black and white template yeah it's it's cool that uh, it, it makes the world seem so much more dreary yeah. <laughs> because uh, spoiler alert if you're actually out in Montana and Nebraska and places like that like all you've got to look at is the sky and it's really big I mean it's big sky country that's, that's what it's like over there and uh I feel like the the one remarkable thing about uh, like Montana specifically is uh, it's pretty to look at when you drive through it, and in black and white they even kind of take that away. So it's just it's, it's such a bummer world to live in. But I I just thought it was interesting because to me, Francis Ha and Nebraska were two pretty contemporary movies, and yet th- those were the ones in black and white when. You know, inside Lewin Davis is in color. I guess that's just the budget. I feel like you can't get away with black and white if you have a certain budget. Oh, I don't know. What I do know is Pacific Rim should not have been in black and white. I've <laughs> been bold. Yeah, you would have had no idea what's going. Like all those fights are at night in the rain, (laughs) in the rain, (laughs) like like, underwater at night. God, um, but uh, when I think back on 2013, I'm gonna think back about seeing Pacific Rim in chairs that vibrated and moved along with the action in 3D. Uh, because that was that was just the coolest thing i've ever experienced in my life that's like it's like disneyland combined with all my childhood dreams um meaning seeing robots duke it out with giant monsters on the big screen and like it not being totally stupid yeah and that's all i've been waiting for is giant Mm -hmm. robots not being totally stupid i've had to settle for like robot jocks for all these years (laughs) Because at least that's somewhat entertaining. In it was the best up to the, this point. <laughs> but finally, uh, Guillermo del Toro, someone who totally understands where fans of these movies are coming from, these hypothetical movies. Um, and he, he makes something that, you know, it harkens back to, to just everything I, I loved growing up. Um and it's wrapped around, you know, a, a goofy melodramatic story about like love and the willingness to work together, triumphing over, uh, you know, the ultimate evil of the world. Which is, yeah, it's cool. I mean, there's something I think symbolically interesting about the fact that 
they have to be willing to open their minds to each other to to conquer evil and the rest of the time they got sweet rocket punches and swords and there's all sorts of dumb things that don't make sense for robots to have <laughs> i mean i feel like they fire guns barely at the beginning of any fight and that's, yeah. it's all just hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm they had guns? I didn't even remember <laughs> guns. They they totally had like a handgun thing. Uh or not like not like a gun that they held, but like rockets that shot out of it. Out that of the robot. Sweet if he was just holding like a giant pistol. Yeah. Yeah, it would. <laughs> He's gotta load it with giant bullets. <laughs> Manually just, reload it. Just give me a second. And there's like one guy who wants to go out in in a bullet. He's like, I got nothing else to live for. And he gets in the bullet of the giant gun. He gets launched. <gasps> like it's jammed or something, and he's like kicking it. Oh, he or has he, to. Or he just, he just rides it like in Doctor Strange. With <laughs> a cowboy hat, waving in the air. The weirdest homage they could make. I feel like he'd probably <laughs> fall off. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but or yeah, I mean... Explode, or... Hey, never mind. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> I mean, just just to get serious, uh, you know, Transformers, the action is so long and it's so beautiful, but you can't. It it's not meant to be looked at in motion, and it, you just you feel nothing when you watch it. And here is a movie where you always feel worried for the pilots because the monsters are so menacing and terrifying and seem so capable of hurting uh the jaegers and, and hurting the the pilots um that i i just had a great time all the way through uh i i mean i enjoyed the movie great popcorn flick uh, i there's def- i've had a few complaints um for one i i did not care for charlie hunnam mm-hmm. in the lead mm-hmm. i don't know that it's necessarily his fault i feel like the character was pretty one-dimensional uh i i I kept saying i feel like maybe to my brother like later on like how much more interesting i i thought that movie would have been had charlie day been the main character because his segment of the movie is my favorite and i and for me he's the um he's he's my favorite character um rinko kikuchi's good idris elba's uh he's good though his character feels a little over the top just a little bit in, in a fun way but I mean, these are minor complaints, but like, uh, I feel like they, considering it's Guillermo del Toro, I feel like he could have done a little better because to me, it doesn't really feel like a Guillermo del Toro film as much as some of his other films. It doesn't seem to have his touch as much. Um, and I, I guess I, guess I would have liked the, to see that a little more. The one scene that did kind of feel like a Guillermo del Toro movie was the flashback where they show Rinko Kikuchi as a child and she's sort of... I don't know. There's something very sort of eerie and kind of haunting about that one scene where she runs into Idris Elba in his Jaeger for the first time. Yeah, it's because it's the city seems to be deserted for some reason. She's yeah. like out on the street alone. And and the, the giant monster just wants to get her. Uh, which is probably memory as much as anything else. But it's, that's a really cool scene. I also really liked all the stuff with Charlie Day and Ron Perlman and trying to you basically go into this black market, and that was really interesting to me. There's definitely a lot of little small details uh, throughout Pacific Rim that I enjoy. Uh, the fights themselves, 
we're good. I had a good time. Um, I guess maybe I'm just not as into giant robots as much as I want to be. Uh, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm more of a big monster guy. And the monsters were cool, though some of them kind of blurred together. Sometimes yeah. I couldn't really tell what, what they were. Uh, it was That was kind of disappointing to me because early on in the movie, they show you like all the different um, kaiju that have come. And there's, you know, they have some really fun ones, like a like a hammerhead one and like a, I don't know, like a saw head one. A lot of special head ones. Uh, but, the, but then all the ones you see in fights in the movie seem to be just like big blue glowy ones, which is, makes it difficult, especially in the underwater fight scene when they're fighting three of them at the same time. What was that the thing in near the end they said, like, they ranked the kaiju by level mm-hmm. or something? And at the end, it's like, oh, this one's like a super mecha ultimate one. It's like really fucking like, like something that they never faced. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, it, it just kind of looks like all the other ones. Like, I don't yeah, know. But it's way. I was tougher. expecting something more. It was way tougher. <laughs> <laughs> it had a bad attitude. I mean, it's 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 a good movie. I just I like to think that there's a few areas where they're like, oh, they could have made that even better. But I mean, I guess when you compare it to your typical summer fair, your typical popcorn flick, um, it's more than you usually get, and that's something that we should appreciate. Yeah, that's been it for me. Is I've been forcing myself to like this movie even more than I really do, <laughs> just because I know it's probably the only of its kind I'm gonna get, at least for a long time, at least till tastes change, which bums me out, but makes me all the more grateful I got it. Speaking of being grateful for the things we already have, how do you feel about Prisoners, John? Uh, Prisoners was a film that totally came out of left field for me. I I saw the trailers. I was like, this looks stupid. Why does this need to be made? Another throwaway thriller movie. Hugh Jackman just coming down to get a paycheck. Same with Jake Gyllenhaal. And then I um, I remember seeing some reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, really? It's got pretty good reviews? That's that's kind of interesting. And I remember it was in a class, a screenwriting class, and Professor's like, oh, I just saw uh, Prisoners. It was really, it was really awesome. I'm like, really? And then I uh, eventually made the time to sit down and watch it and was just really engrossed by this really dark thriller The about a uh, Hugh, Hugh Jackman's child is, is kidnapped. And, and Terrence Stone Howard. Hall, and Terrence Howard. And, uh, Jake Not Stone Terrence Hall, Howard, so- Terrence Howard's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> He gets kidnapped by Paul Dana. What a whip. Well, see, that's the thing. This movie, it's, there's a lot of misdirection. You're not really sure who did what. And it, that's what keeps keeps you going, is, uh, is the mystery. And it goes so much deeper than you expect. Uh, all sorts of really... I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, because I feel like it's worth checking out. It's It's really exciting. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like I have to tiptoe around it. I like the performances. I like the mystery. It's it's dark. It's scary. It's a little long, but uh, I was pretty engrossed. I wanted to know how it ended, and I, I liked all the twists and turns. It was just a surprise. It was just fun for me. Um, so I didn't like all the twists and turns. I was. Okay, I was rolling my eyes a little bit when they first introduced Jake Gyllenhaal's character, and he's like, let's talk about the Zodiac, because it's in, like, a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. 
but he was fine after that. There was just that one scene, but you know, they very clearly were going for a, a Zodiac vibe, a Fincher vibe, which is fine. That's a pretty good movie if you're going to try to emulate something. Um, and it's, it's cool to watch, uh, for a long time as, as the situation gets bad and Hugh Jackman starts making some pretty, uh, irredeemable choices. Um, that are really interesting to watch. Of course, Paul Dano playing pathetic. You know, he's the master. He's as good as it gets. Um, and this was a, a special case for him because he was playing someone with like the IQ of a 10 year old or something. Uh, it was appropriate. It was awesome. <laughs> and, and Terrence Howard, I thought, also uh, pretty good in what ultimately turned out to be a, a smaller role in the movie. Um, but then I thought the the movie just didn't know what it was doing with itself at the end and um oh, really i thought it knew exactly what it was doing like they came i mean like any mystery they started with that and then started going backwards i mean sure I, i'm not saying they didn't know what the plot was i'm saying that they set up um they set up an arc for hugh jackman's character and then they kind of veered totally away from it uh, you think it's going to be kind of a, a condemnation of his choices and his way he does things and endorsement uh, of Jake Gyllenhaal or, or the other way. Uh, but it, it doesn't it doesn't re- really take a stance on anything except it kind of seems to say unlawful abduction and torture is acceptable. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he... I don't want to. I mean, I will have to spell something, but I mean, he abducts someone and you know, kind of as vengeance. And then I feel like at the end, the tables are turned, and I mean, he experiences what it's like to be a prisoner as well. So, I feel like he gets that much. And, I mean, a movie kind of hints at how it's going to end, but you're not a hundred percent in the final closing minutes. Uh, I mean, I feel like that was enough for me. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Hugh Jackman isn't very likable in this movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, uh, so I guess I didn't really care uh, what happened to him, but I feel like it, it was enough for me what he went through and how it resulted. I mean, don't. But I mean, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I don't want to come off like I, like I didn't like the movie, but I just feel like it uh, for how long it was the ultimate reveal wasn't that satisfying and it, it to me it didn't pay off what kept me interested in the movie which which left me with a sour taste in my mouth i mean the payoff was enough i mean it, it, it's one of those for me it's one of those things where the trip is so huge and there's so many twists and turns that there's not going to really be anything that's ever going to fully satisfy me because the mystery is the is the fun part not so much the solution to the mystery um, and I was fine with it. I, I I didn't see it coming actually. I mean, I mean, there's definitely always a point in those kind of movies where you do start. It does start to come together. Uh, but I I just enjoyed the the journey there. And yeah, I admit that. Uh, you know, I agree. This movie is, is so long. It doesn't need to be 150 minutes. Uh, but I was so engrossed that I was willing to cut it some slack. I suppose. Let's talk about another movie that was probably too long, and that's The Wolf of Wall Street. 
Oh, so long. This took me like eight hours to finish. <laughs> it's weird. It's one of the like the only movies I can recall <laughs> where um, I could I could sit down and like I watch a scene. I'm like, oh, that was really good. It's like they did not need that though. Like that that did not need to be that didn't need to be in there. I think of like one scene I really enjoyed is this scene where Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio were like at a restaurant and Jonah Hill's talking about like what was it? it was retarded like his like cousin like retarded kids or something i'm like this is a really funny scene but like well, you could have cut this you could have just jumped right ahead to them opening up their uh the, you know their, their their business like there's so many moments like that but and, and that probably really hurts the the rewatch value but i enjoyed so much of the dark snarky kind of humor and the edginess that uh I, I enjoyed seeing these characters get into high chinks. I was willing to cut it a little bit of slack. I feel like there's some of some of those moments are so good that it's almost worth it. Yeah, uh, when people talk about the length, they talk about like the Quaalude scene being too long. But I thought that was so funny and sad. That was like the it, funniest it thing to I've be seen. that long. Uh, that was so great. Just Leonardo DiCaprio on the ground going like. <laughs> <laughs> But for awesome. me, it was how many goddamn speeches does this guy have to give? <laughs> yeah, those are a little. It's like it's a little overwhelming after a while. It's a little too much. Um, but I loved so much. I loved most of it. So I mean, that was that was okay. Though I feel like don't you feel like if this movie was like 140 minutes, it'd be like so like it'd be like really good. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, the message of the movie is, get rich or die trying. I think, uh, but it gets so muddled in uh, its dedication to telling one person's story instead of uh, using this person as an example of a of a type of people that are out there, which I think is what it kind of should have been and had all the necessary pieces to be. Um, did, I, I know a lot of people come out of the movie going, like, wait, what was that about? <laughs> yeah. That definitely gets modeled, I agree. It, I almost feel like it, it would work better had they turned this into, like, a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I just watched the whole, a whole season of a show and <laughs> in one sitting. But it's also it's real cool to see Martin Scorsese at I don't know ninety nine years old <laughs> come out and make a movie that's so hip and young and contemporary and and it's it's a comedy more than anything else. I I feel like this it definitely stretches the line. Is 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 it a is it a a drama with comedic elements or a comedy with dramatic elements? I I think I kind of lean more towards the second at this point. Yeah, I think there are more moments in the in the film where they're going for a for a laugh almost more than I don't know something really dramatically satisfying, like dwarf tossing. Yeah, <laughs> you're not gonna see that in Gangs of the New York. Well, maybe you would if it was 180 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I guess I'm kind of more with Sean in this one. It, it was, I, I got very burned out on this movie by the I don't know, 
two hour mark maybe even the hour and a half mark i really love the first like hour of this movie it, it just has that total scorsese sort of bravura filmmaking where it's very kinetic and very fast and just alive and that's always fun to see from from one of our great filmmakers but again you know <laughs> it, it kind of does hit the same note a, lo a lot of times even if there are some really great moments even in those in the back half of the movie the the quail dude scene that you guys mentioned is great yeah it's a really great note but we don't need to hear it <laughs> that many times oh yeah i like to think that it's a movie that will work good on on tv you just go like oh here's my favorite part and here's a commercial break i'm good but then i'm like oh but then there's all the swearing so it's kind of doomed <laughs> It's like it's tough when it's like, oh man, I love this part of the movie, but it's like, oh, it's like 120 minutes in that scene, <laughs> like that kind of kills me because like there's scenes I want to see again, but like I don't know that I can sit down and watch this whole thing again anytime soon. Uh, I don't know, it's tricky. But uh, what about the Leo? Little moments. What about Leo? Oh, he's great. I loved Leo. He was very funny. Could this Probably be his year? No. Sticking with McConaughey, huh? I think, I think it's possible. I, I think there's an outside chance. I feel like Leo's due for an Oscar at some point in the near future. Maybe not now, but... It's him or Jonah Hill, right? <laughs> yeah, Jonah Hill. Man, Oscar powerhouse now. He's got two <laughs> nominations. Yeah. Next Meryl Streep. You just got to keep teaming up with like much more handsome leading men, and you can do like, the schlubby side. Yeah, he's got to got to get with George Clooney next time. Maybe some Matt Damon, Laurel and Hardy, the movie. <laughs> Hard <Yeah>. drama. <laughs> and uh, we come to the last entry on our list with the. Uh, Fittingly, the world's end. Mm -hmm. The, uh, I guess, conclusion of the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Uh, if it is a trilogy, I don't, I don't. That's what they said, right? Mm -hmm. It's done. They released the box set already. Nice. I'm disappointed because it doesn't look that cool. Because I really wanted a cool box set. <laughs> uh, wait for the anniversary box set, I guess. Good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait a little longer. <laughs> See if anything pops up. I'm I'm probably gonna buy that box set in the near future because I was really surprised how much I I love this movie because I was you know I was fine with Hot Fuzz and and Shot of the Dead but this one there's just like so much shit going on in this movie uh, totally thematically just stuff they're trying to say about you know consumerism and growing older and male bonding and at the same time, it's got robot alien type apocalyptic shit going on. It's just, there's so much stuff in this movie. And the fact that it manages to, uh, <laughs> I don't know, actually make it work and make sense, I just was really floored by it. I, I would agree, maybe, maybe there is too much in this movie. I think the sort of prologue that this movie goes to the lengths of uh, exploring maybe wasn't necessary but uh, I don't know had me laughing had me 
had me thinking about getting older and uh, had me entertained most of all. I think I think my experience with World's End was it was definitely a positive one. It was, it was good, but with all of his uh, all of Edgar Wright's films. I think it's going to take me a couple viewings to really appreciate it. They're very layered films. There's a lot of tonal shifts. Like, they kind of reminds me of that Shaun of the Dead, where near the end of the movie, it almost takes a kind of dramatic turn. And this kind of has some weird turns. The ending is a little more, I don't know, downbeat, but it's different from what you kind of expect. And also, like, the early shift in this movie, where I was really enjoying the these characters and just kind of coming back to their home hometown. I really enjoyed that dynamic. And then when the robots pop in, I was like, okay, I, I could have just enjoyed these guys hanging out. Like I didn't need the robots. Like it, it was, it was a lot for me to take in, but I think now that I'm pre- prepared for how it all, how it's all laid out when I watch it the second time, I'll really appreciate it because <laughs> they're very detailed layered movies. Uh, what I loved about it was that we knew that that, robot reveal was coming uh it it gave them a chance to like spend a lot of time setting up the characters to the point where you're like well am i seeing the right movie isn't this the one with the robots (laughs) and then it just takes you know the most ridiculous turn this side of of i don't know anything it becomes a totally different movie it becomes a, a pretty sweet action movie for a while uh Although it's, it's always funny, and, and and then I feel like the, the last act is is another entirely different movie in itself, uh, which is also enjoyable, although surprisingly dark and cynical in its assessment of humanity and 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 these characters specifically. Uh, but I really enjoyed this movie. It did not dethrone Hot Fuzz for me. Okay. I mean, there's different. I mean, I feel like Hot Fuzz is a better comedy, but this is almost... I feel like emotionally it hits harder than the other ones, mm-hmm. and I appreciate it for that. Yeah, it's so more it's different. Movie. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'd probably say Hot Fuzz is, is, is my favorite just for entertainment value, but... I, I like all three of these movies because they all, they're all kind of different, but they all definitely share a lot of the same attributes. It's a very, very unique trilogy. Good stuff. Can't wait for Ant Man. All right, time to cut some stuff. We have no, look at the 15 list. movies still on the list. <laughs> well, you can cut Prisoners, definitely. We can, we can cut Prisoners. Yeah, and probably Wolf of Wall Street. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that would be um, five we've got, so there's 13 on the list. Uh, I'm not really, like, I'm not super attached to any of the ones that were just on my list, so if we want to pick any of those off, totally fine. Like The Hunt or, you know, something like that. I thought- I'm open. I think I want to at least keep the crash reel on the list. Okay. Um, what about Blackfish then? Do we need two documentaries? <laughs> no one needs two documentaries. <laughs> what are we, liberal millionaires? 
Well, I mean, John bumped his number three. Should I bump Pacific Rim? <laughs> I don't even know if it would have been in my top 20. <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. Yeah, probably not for me. I, I, I don't know. I just feel like you had such a, such a great childlike giddiness watching that movie, and I don't want to stomp it, but... Uh, it's not. It's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, one more, please. Um. I mean, I didn't mention. I did see Fruitvale Station. I thought it was okay. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could live without Fruitvale Station. Uh, well, uh, you know. I, I, So there's our 10, but what's our number 10? Well, I can't, I obviously can't speak for any movies I haven't seen. So I feel like, Sean, you're the most qualified to pick number 10. (laughs) So John hasn't seen Before Midnight or Mm -hmm. Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And Colin hasn't seen The Crash Reel or The Hunt. Correct. And that's it? I think so. There are, so. There are four yeah. movies that all three of us haven't seen and six movies that all three of us have. Yeah. Should we just cluster those four at the bottom? Oh, I don't uh, know. I mean, uh, it's. We'll I feel see. like we can work it out, maybe. I mean, I can be convinced of things. <laughs> Sean, you're still the most qualified to I make mean, that number 10 choice. If, I mean, if you want to get real, Before Midnight and Nebraska both made my list, and The Crash Reel and The Hunt didn't. There you go. Um, and I, I put those like in the lower end. The Crash Reel more than The Hunt. You can go 10 and 9. That's That works. I don't, you know, I don't care. They're on this list, which is amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it's amazing to me too. Two movies that I like, not heard of and barely heard of are on this list. <laughs> no, whatever. Everything so, that's left so, at this point besides Francis Ha made my list. Okay. I mean, that wasn't super high on mine. It was like number eight. Uh, yeah, go for it. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the bottom three of our top ten. Um, hey, you suppose I could go Nebraska next? Okay, yeah. I think uh, it's one of those, it just gets demerits because John hasn't seen it. I guess because he hasn't seen it, it's a little more modest than the rest of these, I suppose. And then we we could put Before Midnight at 6 just so the top five can be things we all agree on. 
Yeah, okay. It's a good movie, though. Yeah. Alright. Now we have to actually have conversations about these. Okay. <sighs> I'm going to go back to the very beginning when no one really knew what to say about 12 Years a Slave. Uh, because it's it's such a powerful movie, uh, but it's also such a dark movie that I, I'm probably never going to watch it again. And I'm pretty excited to watch the other four movies on our list again. I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah, me too. Like It's a one-timer. Rem- remember, this isn't the, the best movies of 2013. It's our favorite. It's our favorite. And there were four. Um, well, I know my top two because my top yeah, two on my personal list are on are still in contention. I'm so. just gonna guess that the top two are gonna be her and Inside Lewin Davis. I mean, I, they don't have to be. I'm just saying they were the top two on no, my it, list. And it just seems like it would make the most sense since her was Sean's number one, and it was also, yeah, quite high on yours. Yeah. Two, yeah. Um, okay, so then the three and four battle is between World's End and Gravity. World's End is like really precisely written, um, but maybe, maybe if it's flawed anywhere, it's flawed in its execution. And then Gravity executed brilliantly, but maybe if it's flawed anywhere, it, it's in its writing, which... Is, it kind of lets it down a little bit. So what's more important to us? It's <laughs> a tough question. I mean, I, mean, I guess it's not tough because Gravity would make my top ten. Though I feel like the world's end. That next time I see it, I just know it's going <laughs> to... Something sweet. Something yeah. magical. So it, it it would be gravity for me too. I just I thought that was such a riveting movie to watch. I was all about it. Uh, yeah, like, I, it, I, yeah. yeah. I, I'd I pick the say, world's end over it, but I'd be fine with putting gravity in there. Even though gravity did make my top ten, is gravity going to have as much rewatch value? I mean, maybe that's not important, but I wonder. It is. Yeah, it's going to be such a different experience because the one time I saw it was in IMAX 3D, and you know. I, even if I watch it on the projector at home, it's still not going to live up to that experience. I think you'll enjoy it. I didn't see it in 3D, and I still had a hell of a time watching it. Yeah, right. me too. That's then there's no doubt in my mind that that would be my number, I guess, three. Okay. So I'm going to put World's End at four and Gravity at three. So now the battle of the number ones. I know you guys, like, overrule me. Because you both put Lewin Davis at number one. But come on! (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty compelling argument. Yeah. Uh, You know, you you might be right, Sean. You might be right there, Sean. (laughs) It's... I mean, it's it's just what kind of person you are, I guess. I, I... just like living in a world full of love and happiness instead of a world with bleakness and failure. Um, 
but Lewin Davis kind of firing on all cylinders. Uh, but her makes me feel so good. Yeah. I mean, I could I could go either way. I mean, you make a strong argument with your. Uh, come on. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I should come on. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should all come on. I, I honestly don't care. These are two great movies, so you know, it, I'd be happy to see either one at the top. I feel like he was so. being humble. It should be Blue and Davis, shouldn't it? <laughs> it doesn't have to be. I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, they're two great movies. Either way, it's gonna be fine. You know, flip a coin. Do you like her, Colin? I like her. Do you like it a lot? I like it quite a bit. I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I, I should have liked it a little bit more than I did. Maybe maybe on a second viewing. Would you have given any movie this last year five stars? I guess not. <laughs> Would you give any movie in the last few years five stars? Well, I remember I reviewed Zero Dark Thirty and I gave it five stars. I would give some movies in the last five okay. years five stars. So I'd give, Captain Phillips, you probably would have given five stars. I probably would have given it like three stars. <laughs> oh, no. Captain Phillips, what are you? <laughs> That's a good question. Movies in the last five years, I'd give exactly maybe another podcast or something. I'd give The Social Network five stars. I really, I've seen that movie like at least five or six times since it came out. I did not know that about you. Yeah, I'm pretty bad at that movie. And yet, not that about Facebook. No. That movie's not that much about what it's actually like to be on Facebook. No, it's not. No. But what if? Huh? Eh? Yeah, well, what if? Then mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't like it as much. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about the social network. <laughs> uh, came out three years ago. <laughs> okay, I really like her. Her would be my pick. John, are you abstaining? Uh, it, it doesn't matter. He's, he's, he's two quality films. All right, Colin, where are you? I just don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't really care either because I think they're both good. Hooray! So if you want it one, do it even though it makes no sense since, uh, yeah. It's fucking late, man. I want to go to bed. Well, I think we all want to go to bed. I'm gonna Just like Nancy, one. he's sleeping right now. That's why he's not going to sleep for like eight dance. hours by now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there we have it. Uh, I'm going to bring back our special guests uh, to take us out of the show. So, uh, Bono, if you're out there, what were our top ten movies of the year? Number ten was U2 3D. It actually came out in 2009, but it's a great film. <laughs> I think you should see it. It's in 3D. 
which is a bit problematic for me because I have to put like, 3D glasses <laughs> over my regular glasses. It's so dark, I can't even see the edge laying down those tasty licks on screen, but I can hear them in my soul, and it's great. Okay. <laughs> I don't... Uh, number nine, uh, I believe it was uh, Rattle and Hum, the YouTube documentary from 1988. Number uh, eight was, uh, mm, maybe you should do this. Uh, number eight was Francis Ha. Uh, number seven, Nebraska. Number six, Before Midnight. Number five, 12 Years a Slave. Number four, The World's End. Number three, Gravity. Number two, Inside Lewin Davis. And number one, Her, Because of Time. I win All that right. one. Matthew McConaughey, please take us home. I'd like to give honorable mention to the doob with a script plagiarized by Shia LaBeouf. Hell yeah. You can check us out at mattaplease.com. Go to iTunes. I just can't do it. <laughs> um, I'm, a gr- I'm a grave supporter of iTunes because they put my song in that commercial. Hello, hello. You remember that? See, Bono's way easier. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that's all we need, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get a iTunes account and uh, buy music. And, buy uh, the U2 limited edition iPod. You can find them on eBay. Yeah. Um, I think they've got like 32 gigs of storage. And that's all you need. Yeah, you can fit the whole U2 discography. <laughs> And, uh, Even the Batman Forever soundtrack, you can put that on too. We did wait, one song. But can you fit the whole soundtrack? Uh, I believe so, but uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother with the rest of the bands on that soundtrack. All right, all right, all right. Not you too. Thank you, you too. We'll see you as well next week. Bye. Okay. So, okay. Good. Shout. Please, Mr. Kennedy, take one, and we're rolling. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. Oh, please. please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space.